Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. Uh, we are going to go back to Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 through 20. And uh, last week we kind of just did it, uh, we read through them, talked about them, but kind of did a, a, an overview of all the locations around, especially around the south down here. We're going to read through it now, put things, uh, now we got kind of uh, the foundation on it. Or, uh, I know when I took some classes at Jerusalem University, they said, uh, you know, reading the Bible without knowing the geography or knowing the map is like playing chess without a chess board. And so you can read through Nehemiah and all these wall buildings, and obviously you can get something out of it, but it's nice to know where the pieces are that are being moved around, uh, especially not just in the city, but we start moving around the map talking about uh, Sanballat or Tobias or Geshem, the, the Arab, uh, we'll, you know, kind of know what's going on. And so anyway, we'll, we'll continue to work with that. I'm looking uh, in the book right now uh, on page 6 where I've got the text of Scripture written out. Uh, I'm going to re- begin reading through that again, but I'm going to go through the notes tonight. And these are the same notes as last week, except I've updated them, so there should be a date on the top of it right there for today's date. Uh, as you know, Nehemiah in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, he had, uh, uh, the new notes are right there. There's new notes right there. And everyone's got a book, right? Everybody's got a book from last week. I've, I've got two extra ones right here I'm hiding. Uh, but uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, he had met with uh, Artaxerxes, the famous chapter where Artaxerxes asks him what's wrong, and he says, why should I not be sad or down, face downcast to my father's, city of my father's sepulchers lies in ruins, and indeed it is. Jerusalem, they've got the temple back up, uh, but the walls have not been rebuilt, which means it's not really a protected city. People are kind of on their own. The city is not well populated. Uh, it's kind of just being used by the surrounding provinces, Samaria, Ammon. We're going to find out the Arabs have come up into this area. You don't hear much about the Edomites because they've been pushed up into Judea and are probably occupied by the, the Arabs. We'll talk about that. And so it's just pretty much, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say a third world country, but it's a, a run-down location that really can't stand on its own. It's being used for others to prosper. And Nehemiah after having met with his brother, wants to go back and, and do something about it. And as we know, Nehemiah becomes the governor of Judea. And he answers only to Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is going to put him in position. And so he's going to be walking into a hotbed uh, where the, the province of Samaria, Trans-Euphrates, Arabia, they're all using this as their own playground, their own factories or whatever they're doing, if that's even being done. Uh, they're prospering, and the people here are in great distress. And they've tried at different times to rebuild the city, but 20 years ago, Artaxerxes had said, stop building the city. He he put an end to it. So they've been 20 20 years under imperial orders not to go any further. So here we go. Uh, Page 6 of the notebook, beginning in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, or trans-Euphrates, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent... Uh, with me officers and an army and horsemen. And so he meets again, as we said last week, he meets with probably Tobias, or Tobias over here, Sanballat over here, these other provinces as he's coming down, and gives them letters, documentation, that he is here on official business. There's a new player in town, and he is. He, just like uh, Sanballat is the governor of Samaria, Nehemiah is now the governor of Judea. He is here answering to the king and only the king, uh, and, and they they're and, and now protected by the king he, with not, not just an escort a military escort to get there But he travels with an escort except here on this evening here. We're going to talk about tonight chapter 2 verse 10 but when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel And it's not that they hate the people of Israel they just don't want them prospering because they would cut in on their part of the market. They don't want them having any piece of the pie because this is all is kind of being divided up by the others. And again, Sanballat is one of the enemies. 
Tobiah the Ammonite over here is one of the enemies. Both those guys are familiar names. We're going to see Sambalet throughout the rest of, from here on into the New Testament. There's going to be a Sambalet. There's going to be a son of Sambalet. The genealogy is recorded. Uh, Tobiah, another, even the land is called Toba, uh, Tobides, but that's uh, a, a familiar name. We're going to introduce Geshem tonight. And it greatly displeased them. Chapter uh, 2, verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem. That's after he'd met with all these people. And now everybody's upset. He hasn't even arrived to Jerusalem yet. He's going to get to Jerusalem. And I was there three days, he says, probably resting. Now, where we started last week, going through kind of some detail, we'll review it. But we won't spend as much uh, detail in it. I did do a video of last week's class and did a lot of editing, putting a lot of pictures in it. But I also stuck right in there when I says, I've got video of this area here. I just put about, I don't know, two minutes of video of just panning with the camera this area and seeing what it looked like from the top looking down. Uh, it's in the video, but nonetheless. It says, uh, then, after being there for three days, then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And what he's going to do is go off and inspect the walls. And he's going to do it at night. Uh, if you look in chapter 2, verse 12, on page one of your notes, Nehemiah went at night and alone with a small group. This is on purpose. Now, he's, he's got a military escort. He's got papers. He's been in the front offices of the capitals of all these places before he got to Jerusalem. So people know he's in town. He's not afraid to move with an escort, move publicly. He's not traveling incognito. He's traveling as a, a, a satrap himself, as, as the governor of the province. But here in verse 12... He's going to go out at night. He's going to, this is on purpose. He's going to be concealed. Uh, A, to avoid drawing attention to his plans. No one knows exactly what he's doing. They just know he's come to help Judea. He is now the governor. Of course, if he's the governor, he's going to be, you know, Judea first. Judea first. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to make Judea first again. Uh, that's his plan. How he's going to do it, they, they don't know. Nehemiah's got a plan and Artaxerxes knows the plan. There's nothing. Nehemiah is not going to be undermining the, uh, the Persian Empire. In fact, the Persian Empire, he sees the Persian Empire as being led by the hand of God to assist the Jews in this, that God is moving. Why is he moving? Because this is not the Assyrians or the Babylonians. It's the Persians, and they're helping us build. And they have been since 538 B.C. Uh, to avoid drawing attention to his plans, to prevent Sanballat and Tobiah getting a head start. They're going to be surprised. So no other theories of how to proceed could be presented besides the plan in Nehemiah's heart. Now, again, I'm speculating here, but if he brings out, you know, the leaders of the city and has like a, a committee meeting, now this is, this is, again, there's a place for committee meetings, there's a place for group think, obviously, because the Bible teaches that, you know, and multitude of counselors. But there's also... That, that's not always the case. I mean, I remember when I, my, my last teacher's meeting, uh, they had me come up front, you know, and they asked me three questions, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. But one of them was, uh, uh, what has changed in 40 years of teaching? I says, meetings. I says, 40 years ago, my first school, I taught at the school for two years at a high school, and we had one teacher's meeting. I mean, one for two entire years, it was my second year. There was like a Friday in February or something. The principal says, uh, everybody go to so-and-so's room. And we went and their whole staff was sitting in these chairs, these desks, crowded in this room. He said, well, I thought we should probably have a teacher's meeting. And we just kind of talked about some stuff. And it's like, okay, we're done. That was the only teacher's meeting for two entire years. And then by the 90s and late into the, you know, early into the, the 21st century, we, we were having meetings on how to have meetings. I'm serious. One of the classes were how to properly have a meeting. And they, we'd all have to have a position. There was the scribe. There's the timekeeper. There was the, you know, oh, I don't remember them all because, of course, I didn't pay attention. But it's like they, they were, t I says, I says, we're having a meeting to learn how to have a meeting. They says, that's help us to have more effective meetings. And we just, then they started scheduling them. They had meetings before school started. They had meetings every Wednesday. We got early, have more meetings. And it's just like nonstop. This is back in the day, if we had a problem, we'd go find the person, say, what are we going to do? Solve the problem, take care of it, and get it done. Now, there's room, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, but Nehemiah is right here doing one of these things where I don't want 
anyone's opinion. There's people that have been living here for 20, 30, 40 years. They've tried, you know, 20 years ago to build the walls. What did you try last time? What, what didn't work last time? What do you feel is going to work? What is everybody's attitude? Let's take a poll. Let's take a vote. Let's do some research. It's like, no, I'm going to go out at night. I'm going to take a few hand-picked people that are going to go with me, and I'm going to just look at it myself. And then he's going to have a meeting with the people and tell them, here's what we're doing. Now, but there's room for both. I mean, you've got to have, you've got to work with people, but there's also a place where it's like, People are just going to slow you down. And Nehemiah is in that position right here where the last thing I need, he thinks, is help. Now, he's going to get help here. And you're going to see a, uh, in, in chapter 3, I, I got the map, you've got the maps. The whole community is going to come together and build the wall in 52 days. So there's going to be time for them to come together. There's time to go apart. Nonetheless, uh, so, I, okay, so I, then I rose at night and I and a few men with me. Uh, point D, the other thing there, be some, there are no other theories or how to proceed. Could, no one could present uh, other ideas. And also point D, so people with selfish motives or plans with self-interest could not speak and get their agendas on the table. Whenever everybody's kind of putting out their ideas, everybody's going to have their angle, or a lot of people have their angle. He's there for the people of Jerusalem, for Judea. He's not there for, you know, where do you want to have your business? What we want to build first? We've got to get this thing and, and, and get a head start. No one's there to prosper themselves. They're there for the community. So those are some reasons. Uh, verse 13. Oh, no, I'm not even done with verse 12. I'm not even done with verse 12. Then I rose a night and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. So again, he's just going around riding on an animal. Again, why is he riding on an animal and no one else's? Because he's the governor. He is probably riding on a mule. Uh, probably he's an, he's an official. So he is going out and he's going to ride this mule as far as he can. Now, verse 13. I went out by, the night, I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring, and to the dung gate. Now, we went through this last week. We're going to go out. Here's the valley gate. This was found uh, excavating early in the 1900s. Someone found something that would be uh, what they considered the valley gate. It's covered up now by other buildings, but th this was located. Again, this is a ridge, a rock ridge coming up right here. And Nehemiah is going to build along the crest of the rock ridge all the way around. This whole part over here was part of Hezekiah's city. is going to remain rubble. So this is going to get cleaned up and be a functioning city. This is going to be still the, just the wasted land of the Babylonian destruction. But he comes out the valley gate. We know where that's at. To the dragon spring. Now, the dragon spring, I've got on the page, bottom of page one. We talked about it last week. I've got a picture of it. Uh, in fact, if you flip over to page 7 very quickly, that is probably, again, I'm going to give you some ideas here, probably the dragon spring right here where the water comes out, gushing out of Hezekiah's tunnel. It originates at the Gion Springs, runs through this, watch this, runs through this serpentine trail. No one knows how, they, they, you can tell, they, we know they picked it by hand, hand picks, coming from this direction and this direction. And they meet in the middle, and you can see where they met. I've got pictures of it in the Jerusalem book because they had to turn and, and meet each other. And they have an inscription that was put right here, how the two groups met and the water started connecting and started flowing. Uh, they're not sure how. they. Some people think they met a tapped across the top, you know, some kind of a tapper. But why? And they follow the sound. That's an idea. But why? why didn't they walk in a straight line? Maybe they were following... Uh, probably the best guess uh, is, and no one knows for sure, is that there may have been a, through this rock itself, this rock formation, just a natural crack. That water was just seeping out over here, and it had been for, for just, you know, they, they started following a crack, following the water, and these guys started following water flowing this way, and that's why they just kind of followed the natural crack, and they met. Because they, they, they blindly start on this way, and they meet under the city, buried in rock. And it's three football fields long, that, that picking. Now, so anyway, notice the, the idea of, of, the, of the twisting, the wine. It's not just a straight shot. That's going to be important in our, our interpretation. Turn the page to page 8, and you can see right there, there's the whole uh, tunnel, the uh, Hezekiah's tunnel drawn out. 
I've got a picture of Hezekiah's tunnel with a draw, you know, line, a red line going to where it's connected at. And then where it ends, where you come up out of the stairs right here into this area that used to be known as Hezekiah's, or excuse me, the, the Pool of Siloam. And that's where the, uh, the church, the Siloam church, the Byzantine church, and they'd have, those are the, the pillars that held the floor. So you'd have a church service and then look down into the floor for, into the water for baptisms. But anyway, that, uh, that old uh, pool of water with those remains of the posts in there, that actually leads into the Pool of Siloam, which is then right here, and that has recently been discovered. In 2004, this was uncovered, and they're still excavating it. Now, that is what we're looking at there. Now, point one on page one, uh, one thing he does not do, this, this map right here, his entire research or night journey is down and around this way. We're not sure how far up he goes, but goes up, turns around, comes back this way. He does not go anywhere up in here. One reason he doesn't go up here is probably there's nothing to see up here. Everything's been destroyed in the north. This, this has been, this has to be fully rebuilt. This is what he's interested in. How much work is this going to be down here? This is going to be a little bit easier on this side because that was inside the city back in 586. So it's going to need to be rebuilt, but it wasn't like attacked. This is going to be totaled over here. The city expanded out this way. That's going to be abandoned, and the city's going to be shortened up and brought back in, and the wall's going to be put up here on the crest, and this is just going to be abandoned. Just like this was left undone, this was abandoned. This was abandoned until the 60s, 1960s, when they began to excavate it and find that, and we mentioned that last week. So that's point one. Uh, this has been destroyed for 142 years since 586. Uh, point two, Dragon Spring. You can see the word. I've got it in the squared in the box. It's got two words. It is the word E-N-N, and then the word that is Hatanin in the, in, the, in the text right there. The Hatanin, or it literally means en Hatanin means spring of the dragons. The word N is the same word for I, but it can also mean spring or fountain. It, it, it depends on, you know, you're, it's, it's uh, something that is letting something in, letting something out. That's the word in. So it could mean eye of the dragon. But the way it's used, it means, and it's the correct translation, it's, it's the well. The word dragon, some translations turn into jackal, changing the word. But it is actually the word dragon. And dragon, and that's point A, uh, 2A, were serpentine mythical water monsters. There's not like a real dragon. But there are dragons and sea monsters in the Bible. And what they are, they're the coiling serpent beast dragon, uh, which, again, you don't have to accept this, but that may be this winding serpent spring. It comes out of this winding dragon. This may be the dragon that they're referring to. They, they may have, a, they may have you know, we, we can walk through it today. So, that, that may be why they called it the serpent. Otherwise, they're just calling this the dragon well, but it's the spring that comes from the coiling serpentine trail. Again, that's a good guess. Jackal is completely just someone trying to fit it into something else. Um, some suggest, because now you've got to decide where is he at. Some suggest it's in Rogel. That's like 275 feet away from down here, and there is a water well there. That's uh, King David and others, that's where they were anointed. They had celebrations down here in Enrogel. But that's probably, if he's going from here to the Dung, the Dungate has to be right here. doesn't have to be, but it's the southernmost into the Hinnom Valley. So he's going from the Valley Gate to here. So somewhere here, a water source. This could be it, but now it's way down here. This is going to be water, but this is going to come from the uh, Gion Springs coming open, open canals coming this way. And so most likely, this is the water source, and it's coming through here. This would be the dragon's uh, well. Um, okay, that's point C there. Also turn the page, and page 2. Oh, and he goes to the dung gate. The word dung is ha-a-spot, and I've got that underlined in the, on the previous pages so you can see it. Basically, it means ash heap, refuge, uh, in fact, it's it's, you can see it translated there in your Hebrew text uh, as refuge. Uh, it means dunghill, and it refers to some kind of a garbage dump. They took garbage out here. One thing, Mazer, you know, you got Benjamin Mazer who excavated 
this part right here uh, in 1967, along with the help of his granddaughter, Eliot. Eliot has just passed away in the last year and a half or so. But then she excavated, well, she's going to excavate this, uh, this, this water gate right here. But also she's the one that's going to find David's palace and excavate all of this after Kenyon and Shiloh did some excavation here. El- Eliot is going to do some great excavation work right here. And that's another whole story. But Mazer, that's the name, suggests the Hebrew right here. Oh, sorry. I didn't have to stop to pick that up, I guess. I'll set it up so it can fall again. Uh, suggests that it's interesting uh, that the word, you can see the Hebrew is spelled uh, 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 A-S-P-O-T, or and if you put it just the, without the vowels, because Hebrew is just said with the consonants, and then the vowels have to be, a, 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 it could be an A, an E, an I, an O. It's, you just got to know the language on how to put, put the words together. So if you change the vowels, you can change the word. But if you just read the consonants it, without the vowel points, it can also be the word tofet, which means the place of burning, which, of course, okay, the garbage dump, the place of burning, but the Tophet has a big play, and I've got that in the next box in, uh, from 2 Kings 23.10. That's where after uh, Manasseh had started child sacrificing in the Hinnom Valley, coming down the valley on this side, coming over here, they had child sacrifices, and they had put them in the burner or the Tophet. They put them in the burner. Uh, Josiah shut it down, and that's what it says right there. He defiled Topheth which is the valley, this is right out of the scriptures, and I've got the Hebrew right there. He defiled Toph, meaning he made it unusable, meaning he, he violated it religiously so they could not use and do, he stopped the child sacrifices. He defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and that's valley Ben-Hinnom, valley of Giena, that's exactly that, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Molech. So that was the culture, was what they were doing. Josiah came by and put an end to it. And that's the, the, when it talks about the dung gate, that means garbage, but it can also refer to, it can also be referring to the tofu. The word is very, very similar. So the dung gate, that became the place they took their garbage because that's the where they began destroying the Tophith, where they were burning the children. And so there may be a connection right there, but they know where that is at. That's, that's pretty solid right there. Uh, going back to the text, um, chapter 2, verse 14. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. So they'd come around this way, and you've got a map there on your book. Go around this dung gate, and if you look, and I ended last week, turn the page just so you can see it. It's just interesting that you can walk here. And there's places here that I would like to go get some pictures of. But right here on the top of page 9, the picture, there it's got, I've got a little dotted white line, Nehemiah's mule going around and turning. That's the, him doing this right here, going around and turning. And you can look up that hill. I've got, got Dung Gate written up there on that picture. That's not the Dung Gate, but that's the area. That's where you're looking, you're standing here. I'm down there, I'm down there. I could go even further into the valley. See, I'm on the, on the slope of the Hinnom Valley on this side. I could have gone deeper into the valley and I'm looking up at the city of Jerusalem. And I've got some other pictures further back where I'm looking up at the walls of the city. And it's not walls today. The walls of the city are up here. This is all open down here today. But you see where he goes. And you've got the Hinnom Valley right here meeting the Kidron Valley right here. And Enrogel is at that intersection. And as we said last week, you've actually got three valleys. The Kidron Valley, the Hinnom Valley coming down and turning, and then coming right through here, the Central Valley, which would have been an issue in Nehemiah's day because this was more of a valley over the years because of stuff like this, the rubble. It's filled in. You can still tell on the slope as you're walking or running. But as, as a whole, the Central Valley is just, you just walk right over it. It's not, it's not an issue. But all these valleys met, one, two, three, right here where there's a spring of water called Enrogel. And, of course, this with the Gion Springs, the water canals, the, in Rogel, this was a very, very green place. Uh, the King's Gardens were there. And then the bottom picture on page 9, you can just see the roads. 
There's a road coming down from here out of Silwan, meeting a road coming in the Hinnom Valley, meeting right there, going on down out of town. And I'm just walking. In fact, there's a sign. I got it circled right there. There's a little arrow sign right there pointing this way, pointing City of David. It, I've got it in a little red circle. And I've got a little arrow pointing at Enrolgal on the bottom picture. You kind of see generally where Enrolgal's at. Okay. Uh, so then he comes down here, and that leads us to this place right here, the Fountain Gate right here. When we read chapter 3, which we will get to next week, uh, it's going to talk about the steps leading down to the fountain gate from the city of David. There's either steps coming down or more likely coming out. This is one of those things I did, and then as I studied more, I realized there's probably steps that come out the, the gate and go down steps that are carved into the bedrock. You can see a, some, an opening in the bedrock, cut out of the bedrock there, and you can see some steps. And there's some other things there that that you can see it's not clear but it's there's something take place there that fountain gate would been a place where people would come out and go to the fountain to get water if it be the king's pool which is going to be we're going to find out that's going to be over here uh in rogel over here or also well let me read this um chapter 2 verse 14 then i went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass so they're coming up here fountain gate the king's pool but when he gets right about here he's got to stop because all these terraces have collapsed and then we'll, we'll pick that up here in a moment but talking about the fountain gate point one fountain gate was probably used to access water one you got the canaanite channels just open channels coming down this way or they were continued their like irrigation system coming from the Gion springs you've got the king's pool that was fed by water right here uh, that's going to be mentioned here uh, the pool of enrogel is down here and it's possible that the water that flowed through Hezekiah's tunnel and filled with the Pool of Siloam, it was turned around and run back over here again to, to water. See right here? It's called the King's Gardens. So water would be turned in here, right there. And in the video I made, I found the picture. I mentioned it last week. When I first saw this in 2007, I saw the water flowing into the Pool of Siloam right here. It was just running through. A, it was still dry. But you had it running through a little channel that, it was, that was ancient. But it just filled that channel up, and then it just ran out here into the street down into a gutter and so it was coming out of here and had to go somewhere so it just ran down into a low spot which would be in the central valley and just went down into the gutter so it just flows down through there it continues well back in the day that would be obvious they would take that water once this was full they would just let it filter back into the king's garden or filter around and provide more water over on this side so there's the Gion springs coming this way Gion springs coming through pool of Sloan back this way the king's uh, to pool and in Rogel, thus the fountain gate is clearly right there, and the king's pool would be right in that. That's a general area, but there was no room for uh, the animal that was under me. Oh, hey, you got two verses right there, chapter uh, in point one uh, D, Second Kings twenty twenty. This is talking about Hezekiah. Just want you to see this. The rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So the pool, how he brought the conduit, what we call Hezekiah's tunnel. That's chapter 20. Now, five chapters later, the Babylonians are invading the city. They're, they're, they're hitting the north up here, pounding on the north right here. The, 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 the royal palaces are right in this area. The, king are gonna, the, the, the king's men are going to flee out this gate right here. That's what just 2 Kings 25.4. Then a breach was made in the city, meaning once, they, once it, the breach was made, once the wall cracked, it's not just a matter of time. When that wall broke, you know, the news channels are covering it. Everybody sees it on their Twitter feed, and they just take off. It's over. So it says, uh, then the breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls by the king's garden and the chaldeans were around the city so they flee out this way by the king's garden they flee and as you know here's the kidron valley if you go up right over here that's the mount of olives and once you get to the other side of the mount of olives it's nothing but just you're heading into the judean wilderness and it's just a just downhill run into the jordan valley and that's what it says right here uh, the Chaldeans were all around the city, and they went in the direction of the Arabah, which is, again, the wilderness. They, they ran out here, up the, uh, through the Kidron Valley, 
up the Mount of Olives and out into the wilderness, and they're free. And that's where eventually they're going to catch uh, Zedekiah. Okay. Uh, there's no room now once they get right here because the, this is all collapsed. This was all terraces. And I put a picture in. If you look on page three of your notes, tonight's notes, there's a picture. And the reason I took this picture is this is a very, I, I, I had this even on your notes last night. In fact, you can see it in the, the pictures in the book. But that is, the reason I'm looking at that, that is what it looks like on the other side of the Kidron Valley today. If you're standing right here, you can look down. As you can see right there, you're looking down. You look down. In fact, you're looking at the Gion Springs right down there. The buildings are covering the Gion Springs right down here. But what I want you to look at this time is look across the Kidron Valley and look up as the Mount of Olives begins to rise. And what you see is that's the uh, a city called Silwan. This house is just built up. Those are terraces. They just keep building further and further out. That was similar to what this would have looked like in 586. They would have just been houses built up, and they just keep building terraces out and then building houses up on top of it. And once it starts collapsing, it's just, you know, not that they necessarily attacked here, although they did set it on fire, uh, but just through the years, 140 years, it just kept, you know, deteriorate. a house starts falling apart. It just it just keeps collapsing, and by every, every other year, it's further falling apart. Well, that's kind of what this would have looked like. Anyway, he comes, to, just imagine all that just collapsing down the hill. Now it's just laying in a pile at the bottom. You come to the Kidron Valley right there, you can't, you just got to go around it. And that's what he had to do right there, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is inspecting this. He's, he, how, how, he's looking here, this isn't bad, this isn't bad. Okay, we got water supply comes over here. Okay, there, this looks good. There's the, the king's gate or the, the fountain gate. Oh, my gosh. He sees this, it's like, Okay, we're not building this way. We're going to put the wall right up here. And this, we're going to have to, the wall used to go, see, you talk about the double gate, the two gates, this gate, and then, or wall, just in, in Second Kings, there was this wall. Then there's a the wall outside protecting the terraces. Well, we're not going to build this second wall. We're not even going to build these houses. We're just going to leave this as a dump. In fact, 1960s, they're excavating it. It was left just like that. He builds the wall at the top. That's, so he's making, that's one of the decisions he's making. We're going to just build this, the wall up here across the top like this and forget about the terraced part of the city. So if you can imagine looking at that picture again on page, page 3 right up here, if this is the city, all this part of the city, we're not going to rebuild that. We're going to just build the wall up across the top and leave this as rubble. Again, that's a decision. And he's not asking for, what does everybody else think? There's no one there to ask. He's making a plan. Um, now, he's going to get involve other people, but once his plan is clear. Uh, that is the end of page two. Oh, no room, point two, no room for the collapsed terraces on the east side. Kenyon, who began excavating, Catherine, Kathleen Ken, Kenyon, she did Jericho also. She began excavating right here. The first one to begin excavating this in the 1960s, 61 to 67 excavation, uh, and revealed the collapses of the terraces, she wrote, Here's what she wrote about that when she first started cutting it open. The tumble of stones uncovered by our trench, one, is a vivid sample of the ruinous state of the eastern side of Jerusalem that balked Jeremiah, or Nehemiah's donkey. The event shows that the sight of this cascade of stones persuaded Nehemiah that he could not attempt to restore the quarter of Jerusalem on the eastern slope on the eastern ridge or the wall that had enclosed it. So the eastern slope on the eastern ridge and the wall that would have enclosed it. And there's going to be the remains of that wall. It's going to be referred to next week. I've got a little dotted line there, kind of where that wall used to go because you can still see where it connected, where it used to be. But that's Catherine Kenyon looking at it. Page 3, verse 15. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall so he goes up, so he went up in the valley. So right here, instead of going along the wall, he goes now out in the valley and goes up the valley, up the Kidron Valley, and he's inspecting the wall, looking up at it. And I've got some pictures somewhere of looking up at the wall. I'm not sure if I got it in here. I put one in the, yeah, just look on page 11 right there. Now we're looking down. Imagine being down there, looking up. That's the, imagine being down there and looking up here, and inspecting the wall. And that's, that's all the further he can, that's all he can do now for the rest of this time out here is he's down here looking up, inspecting the wall. And it's, it's going to be built up here. Um, 
and I returned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. So we don't know how far he went up to here. I got just going up to here, up to the, I got him just going up to the, the corner of the Temple Mount. I don't know how far he went. Uh, he turned around and retraces his steps and comes back in the valley gate. Now, right here is David's palace. It may be that that has been rebuilt, reoccupied as a royal palace. We don't, I'm just saying. Uh, you're going to have Solomon's palace is going to be in this area. You're going to have the governor of the trans-Euphrates is going to be here. There's going to be a place right here for someone that comes from the whole trans-Euphrates will occupy this area right here. Someone's over uh, something else. We'll see that later. Okay, that's verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15. He's back in. That was his night journey, and now he's going to make some plans. Like I said last week, um, verse, chapter 2, verse 16, and the officials did not know where I had gone. Now, I mean, that's like the top people in the government, everybody who controls the economic, controls the temple, controls the legal system, had no idea, nobody know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. I, I had no one knew. From the Jews to the priests to the nobles, and the nobles would be the heads of the families that would come together and make leadership decisions. I mean, there's, there's going to be leadership decisions made, but he's at the top making the plan first. And from the Jews to the no one knows what he's got in mind. Now, Artaxerxes does, Nehemiah does, but we're going to get the plan ready to go and get it working uh, before anyone has a chance. Because they are under opposition. There is opposition. Um, then I said to them, in verse, verse 17, we do not know, chap, between chapter 2, verse 16 and chapter 2, verse 17, how much time. Like I said last week, in my mind, the next morning. He gets up the next morning, says, maybe slept in because he's out all night. And he goes, and he gets up the next morning, hey, can I have everybody get together? That's probably not the case. That sounds too Sunday schoolish. I mean, that's just, it's probably just like we saw when his brother came back from Jerusalem and met him at Susa, asked him, how's the city? He says, it's not in good shape. And the next thing you see, he's talking to Nehemiah, or talking to Artaxerxes about how bad the city is. But he, both of them have got dates when his brother arrived and when he went in to see the king. It's four months between when he sees his brother and finds out how bad, and then four months later, he's talking to Artaxerxes about it because he's the cupbearer. Uh, so it doesn't give you that impression on how long a time it was. So this could be, uh, I would assume, being more logical, it's not four months because he's got to get this going. But it's probably not the next morning at coffee. He's probably got to take some time to kind of figure out He's probably already knows what's going on up here. He's been in the temple. He sees all this. This is probably, I need to investigate what's out here. This is probably maybe, in my mind, this is him putting together the last piece of the plan. How much work have we got left that we don't have to do? How much work are we going to have to do? How, what do we have to change? And when he gets together, he's probably going to have a plan that he can present to people so that when he presents the plan, he can then start giving out assignments. And then, of course, it's going to be a team effort. Um, but anyway... You say it's a week, you know, whatever, pick a date, a number. But nonetheless, in chapter 2, verse 16, um, they, they do not know what's going on, but chapter 2, verse 17, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? And of course, yes, they do. I mean, it's like, it's like you're running a, a campaign. You see the trouble we're in? Yes, that's why we're here. We're looking for a change. Uh, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins, okay? And this right here, see this? This is all ruins right here. It's going to remain ruins. But this is all ruins over here. This is all ruins. There's parts of this wall that are left, but there's no gates that are functioning. And if they are, you just, you just go in a different way. You can shut a gate, but it doesn't matter. It's like you've got eight doors in your house. You lock one door up, just go in a different door. Um, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates burned. Again, that's the wood that had been the gates that had swung, the beams that held them shut. Then he says, come, let us build the wall. There it is. You see how bad it is. It's, it's burned. It, the rocks are down. The, the walls are destroyed. It's terrible. We're in ter These people are abusing us, using us for their own profit. What are we going to do? Here's what it says. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem. That's, there it is. That's what he just said. Everything else, everybody's here. Yes, it's bad, it's bad. Then he says, Let's, we're going to build the walls of Jerusalem. Now right there, 
Now you start getting the division. Wow, we can't do that. We've already tried. Artaxerxes won't let us. I mean, really, 20 years ago, Artaxerxes says stop. But Artaxerxes just told Nehemiah, yes, do it. No one knows this. It's not like it wasn't in the news. He doesn't get there and everybody, well, we know why you're here. We heard of Artaxerxes just told a press conference. You know, it's like no one knows. There's no press conference. Artaxerxes and Nehemiah know we're going to build the walls. Now the public knows right here for the first time. Come, let us build the walls, wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. Meaning we're being abused. We're going to build our walls, get these gates working, and start taking care of ourselves. We're going to make, put Jerusalem, put Judea first. Make, make, make America, make Jerusalem great again. I mean, they probably had red hats. I don't know. They probably had red hats. And I told them of the hand. Now here. Now here's, now watch. Next verse 18, you, you know why he says, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. Because when he says, we're going to build the wall of Jerusalem, what do you think we've been trying to do for the last 20 years? Or we got here in 538, we took us 20 years to get the temple built. As soon as the temple's done, we said, let's just keep building. That didn't work out. The Samaritans are stopping us. They've got, they've got what, from 538, 520, 500 B.C.? They've got 50, 60 years of a, of a system of how to use Judea for the advantage of Samaria, the Ammonites. And now the Arabs are coming up into here. And it's like, there's a system working against us. We can't just change this. Yes, we are. You can't do it, Nehemiah. These guys have tried. This guy tried, died trying. It's not going to work. He says, stop. Let me tell you why it's going to work. And there's going to be a couple reasons. One, it's going to be God. It's going to be Artaxerxes. And it's going to be, you want to get it done. And so when they started whining, I'm going to add that verse, verse uh, 217b. It's not in your text. When they started making excuses and complaining on why they couldn't get the wall built, and they'd already tried, it was never going to get done, the opposition was too great. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been up on me for good. Now, is that, that's just, I mean, I mean, think about what he's saying. It's one thing to come to a group and say, God is with you. You are God's people. We're going to work together. God's going to get this done. But it's like the group, you've been failing. God has been against you. You're not getting anything. We, so we can't do anything. Right. Don't worry about it. God's hand is with me. God is showing me favor. I've got our tax Xerxes. I've got paperwork. I'm the governor. I've got resources. So if you'll follow me, God has sent me to rebuild the wall. I mean, it's interesting. He's not going to, we can do it. It's like, no, you can't, but God has chosen me and shown me favor, and I'm going to share that favor with you. Well, here it is. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words of the king. So number one, I told them about God was with me, how I, 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 I'm getting everything I want. I've got a military escort. I, I've, got, I've got resources. But also, uh, the king had spoken to me. I'm not here on a trip. I'm not here just on a, some kind of pilgrimage to visit the temple. Artaxerxes has sent me. That he probably says, look, here's a letter from the king. It's like, that's Artaxerxes. Oh my gosh, that's Artaxerxes. It's like, right. I'm here on official business, not from the governor of Samaria, not from some Tobias. I'm on business from Artaxerxes. Forget these other guys. They're dealing with the Persian Empire when I show up. And they said, and here, watch this. The only thing you hear, that all the negative stuff is cut out. Here's the only thing you hear the people saying. Let us rise up and build. But he says, they, they probably had all the excuses common. I mean, I would do the same thing. Well, we've tried that for years. I would do the same thing. But our, Nehemiah says, we're not going to try the same thing again. Things have changed. God is showing me favor. I've got a letter from the king. What do you say? And now the people say, let us do it. Let us rise and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. They started making plans. And that point, page four, you've got the Hebrew written out there. Uh, point one, it says, Nehemiah revealed to the people what Artaxerxes had said. Artaxerxes had reversed his previous ruling from 20 years ago. Artaxerxes wanted Nehemiah to rebuild the city. Artaxerxes had already sent Ezra back previously to restore law. 
So this is in Artaxerxes' favor. And Nehemiah was not just visiting or on a religious pilgrimage. One, Nehemiah was the governor of Judea. I'm just not another guy. I'm the governor of Judea. Well, Tobias won't let us do it. Tobias doesn't matter. I'm the governor. All of a sudden, Tobias and, 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 or Tobias and uh, Sanballat, uh, Geshem, it's like, guys, it don't matter. I'm the governor. It's my house. Artaxerxes gave it to me. Nehemiah was the governor. Nehemiah answered to Artaxerxes. I mean, he, he goes to the top. Well, have you ever even talked to him? <laughs> yeah, I pour his wine. The other governors, Samaria, Ammon, Arabia, had no jurisdiction in this set. All of a sudden, they have no business. There's now a border. Like that idea of a border? There now is going to be a border. Like, you can't come in here. This is no go. Nehemiah was equal to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem in the Persian Empire. But as far as being in Judah, they had no right. So, Nehemiah is an equal to Sanballat, Tobias, Geshem. But in Judea, no equal. He is the only one. So if they had ever had a meeting in Susa with Artaxerxes, he'd be at a table with all his equals. But when he sits at the table here in Judea, there's no one else sitting there. He's by himself. Okay, so that sounds good. People, let's just do it. Now how big of a problem is this making up? Am I making a big story up here about Samaria and the, the Ammonites? and the, the, Well, here it is. But, Verse 19, but when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem, there's a new one, the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, now first of all, here's, here's the people, Sanballat the Hornite, Hornite probably could refer to four different things on what, what that means. It probably means he's from this city right in here of when leaving Jerusalem, uh, you go north, and then you head west going through these cities. One of the cities is, is Horn, and so he'd be a Hornite uh, because that's where he's probably from. It's close to the border. That would make sense. Uh, it's also interesting, Tobiah, the Ammonite, notice, the Ammonite servant. Now, again, that doesn't mean slave. It would mean servant. It would mean the Persian servant. He's the Persian governor or the satrap. And then, of course, uh, it mentions... Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. Here's what they do. They say, what is this thing that you are doing? They're going to they're gonna make fun of it. What is it? You can't do this. It, it could involve, you've had 20 years to do it. Or, and then uh, the king has already stopped you. And if you're, they don't know, they haven't seen this paperwork yet. But if you're trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, we've got a letter right here from 20 years ago that says you can't do it because Artaxerxes says he's not going to build that wicked, rebellious city. And Nehemiah could go, right, but have you seen the latest letter? He says, I'm here to build the wall. It's like all of a sudden he's got jurisdiction and now they just can't make fun of or say we're going to write a letter to the king. It's like all of a sudden all their ammunition, making fun of them, making life difficult, sending letters, getting it caught up in legal situations. All of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, there's nothing we can do. Nehemiah is the governor. He's got paper. Artaxerxes is building the wall through Nehemiah. He's, he's fortifying this, the land of Judea. You know what that's going to mean? That's going to cut out, and I don't even understand all that they had available, but we're going to find out some of them are still there in, involved in the temple worship. That's, that's coming up in the book. So, point one, the three opponents from the neighboring provinces are sat, uh, satraps. Sanballat the Hornite, governor of S Samaria, Tobiah, and now Geshem. I just want to do this. Geshem the Arab. Uh, that's why I got this map right here. Here. Like I said, too many maps. How do I do this? This is interesting. Uh, you've got, here's little Jude, Judah or Judea right here, Samaria's to the north, Trans-Euphrates, which is being called Ammon right now. But there's really not a territory of Ammon unless it's a section of Trans-Euphrates. So it might be a, 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 a province within the greater province, if you would. So Tobias may be in charge of Ammon, but this is Trans-Euphrates. All of this is part of that. Nonetheless, that's over here. The Geshem the Arab, the Arabs are down in here, but things have changed. Uh, Edom 
the Edomites used to be down south, like down in south of Judah, south of the Dead Sea was all Edomite territory. Notice there's no Edomites in this because of the book of Obadiah. Remember the book of Obadiah. The Edom rejoiced in Judah's fall, Jerusalem's burning, and they sided with the Babylonians, even helped capture some of the Jews. Obadiah came out and says, it's over. Thus the verses like, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. Jacob's got a covenant. He's back on the map. Edom, you're going to be disciplined too, but understand, you don't have a covenant. So when I discipline you, you're gone. You're going to just be absorbed and you'll never come back. So when Judah falls, there's a promise they're coming back because they've got this covenant. When Edom falls, I'm sorry, I've never loved you. Now, that word love, we, we, get, it, we get so, you can, I, and I might be wrong, but that's a, those are covenant references. Jacob, I've loved. Esau, I've hated. Or I haven't loved. Meaning Esau, we're dealing with you right now in history, but once you fall, there's nothing bringing you back. Jacob, I have a covenant. I have loved. I've signed a covenant with them. When they fall, I will always bring them back. Esau, when you fall, or any Gentile nation, when you fall, there's only one Jacob, and I've got a covenant of love with them. And that, that, that is not talking about salvation. That's talking about, that's talking about a covenant, nonetheless. Notice Esau is gone. What takes place is the Arabs are starting to advance, and that's what you see right here. The Arabs are advancing. They drive Edom up into southern Judah right here. And so in southern Judah, they're up in here, uh, and they're going to become the Idumeans. They're, they're losing their identity. In fact, Idumea right here is probably going to be occupied by the Arabs. If you look at this map, I try to get this positioned here. The Arabs, Geshem, the Arab, he controls over here to, to uh, Egypt. He controls up into uh, the Moabites and the Ammonite territory probably controls all the way up and is pushing Edom. Edom is there up into the Negev of Israel, but occupied by the Arabs because they're not, even, they're not even a force. They're not even a power. They're there, but they're controlled by the Arabs. And then this goes over this way, however far we come over here. So this Geshem is going to become the Nabataeans, which are the great, they run the trade routes. They have favor with the Persians. And again, we can see all that stuff later. Point 1C. The Arabs became a dominant in the Transjordan area beginning in the Assyrian Empire and into the Persians. The name Geshem means bulky or stout, if, that, if that's actually what he was, but that's what his name means. There is an inscription. This Geshem is historical. I've got three examples of him being historical, Geshem. There's an inscription from Leon, Dedan territory. Indeed, that is the Dedan territory. In fact, the Gulf of Quaba used to be called the Gulf of Leon, right here. And so from this area, there's an inscription uh, uh, between, from this time period, when it was absorbed in the Nabataeans, it says, uh, it says, J-A-S-M, which is Geshem, son of Sar, S-A-H-R, and Ab, governor of Dedan. So that, that's what it says there. In 1979, an inscription was found in Arabia with the names Geshem ben Sar. Notice right there, the same name, S-A-H-R. Here it's S-H-A-H-R. And Jesem, Jesem. And then in 1947, a silver vessel was found with Aramaic inscriptions dating from around 450 B.C. from this very time period. Uh, was found near the Suez Canal, all the way over to this area. So from, from here, going all the way into this area here, his name is in three different locations, plus the Bible as being an enemy of, of uh, Nehemiah. Uh, on it, it says, Geshem is seen as the king of Quadar. And I've got a picture of that on the next page. You don't need to spend a lot of time looking at it. Did I not put the picture on the... Oh, I didn't put the picture there. I made a picture and I didn't get it on there. Never mind. But there's a silver bowl, just like similar to uh, Artaxerxes' silver bowl, there's a silver bowl with an inscription by his son taking an offering to Egypt, pouring it out to one of the gods, and he's, he's known as, you know, uh, you know uh, the son of the, of the king. It says it right there, uh, you know, 
Hunter, the son of Biden or something like that. It'd be something like that. He's offering something in, in Ukraine or something. But anyway, that's that scene. So you see his names there historically. So Geshem is a real historical person, obviously. Um, it is also possible, that's why I got this poster right here. I've gotten to use this many times, but this is for tonight. Right here. There's, this is the boundary, the red line, that's Judah's territory. And it is possible, and archaeologists that, that was working in the area, that right here is Lachish. Lachish is outside the border. When, when uh, Lachish, the Azika, and Lachish. Lachish was the last fortification that the Assyrians had in Judah. When that fell, they came, were going to come to Jerusalem. But after that, that's when 185,000 soldiers died. But when the Babylonians came, you had a fortified city at Lachish and Azika. And they have found, this, I think it's seven uh, 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 potsherds with inscriptions written on it. And they'd send notes back and forth. And one of the notes that they, the, one of the notes, the Azika uh, potsherds with writing on them, uh, says something about a prophet and something about being, uh, you know, unpatriotic or something like that. Might be Jeremiah. But it also says we can no longer see the lights uh, from Lachish. They can no longer see the lights of Ezekiah. So Lachish, from their, 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 they're sending messages back and forth uh, while they're being destroyed by the Assyrians. And one of them says we can no longer see the lights of Ezekiah, meaning I think they've fallen. And with that, they found that here. When they were excavating the guard's tower at Lachish, they found these potsherds with the writing on it. Ostracons. They're called ostracons. Broken pottery with writing on it, like sticky notes. They'd send them back and forth like sticky notes. Uh, they found them here. Nonetheless, Lachish, this had been rebuilt now, and there was a palace, a Persian palace at Lachish. And the archaeologists believe that uh, Geshem, this Arabian that is being mentioned right here, had come up so it, he'd be right here, his palace would be right here, which makes complete sense. Here's Samaria from here, Tobias from here, and the Arabs is like, why, why, why is he up here? What's he such a problem for? Because he had gone all the way over to Egypt, had pushed the Edomites up here, had occupied Edom, and probably had a palace just outside the border right here. So that's, that's, that's Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not just building a wall with, you know, Sunday school class. The Samaritans are coming against him. Trans-Euphrates is coming against him. And the Arabs are up here having occupied the Edomites, who are now becoming Edomians, uh, putting pressure on it right here. So when they say, yeah, here it is, they say to him, and I've got to hurry here because we want to finish this chapter, uh, they say, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Uh, they laughed, they jeered, point four on page five, they despised, the enemy understood that merely needed into the intimidating wasn't going to work anymore. Uh, point six, the two questions were probably written down and delivered. They're not just, you know, they're at the meeting. But someone at, listen, someone at the meeting, as soon as Nehemiah says his plan, someone in Jerusalem tells Geshem, Sanballat, Tobiah, and they instantly send letters back. There's, there's people that are working for the opposition. There's, there's people working for him in the government that that's, and Nehemiah is a politician. He's from, like we said, he's from Artaxerxes' inner workings. Artaxerxes' father, Xerxes, was assassinated from the inner room along with Artaxerxes' brother. So Nehemiah knows the game. He is politically, well, how do you say it? Smart. Uh, turn the page. So here we go. Here's what he says. And again, point B at the top of page 6, are you rebelling against Artaxerxes? There we record, uh, and I'd like to spend time with it, but there's where back 20 years before in Artaxerxes' first year, the Samaritans sent a letter, says, ah, that wicked city's going to try to rebuild, and you'll never get any taxes, just check the records. And Artaxerxes says, okay, I checked the records, it's recorded in Ezra, finds out, oh, that's right, they rebelled against the Assyrians, they rebelled against the Babylonians, yeah, Stop building the city. I don't have time to... I already got rebellions breaking out when he took over. Had rebellions several places. I don't need a rebellion there. No, you can't build a city. Just shut that down. And that's all recorded in Ezra from 20 years before. Now, 20 years later, Artaxerxes says, okay, let's rebuild the city. 
So that's why his reply, when they were, they were saying, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against Artaxerxes? Chapter 2, verse 20, a great verse. I, I got to hustle. Chapter 2, verse 20, then I replied to them, probably not shouting at them in some kind of a talk show, but probably wrote them a letter of an official document, probably sent a copy to Artaxerxes. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven, which is a Persian term for the chief God, which Nehemiah and Ezra and everybody, they, we, okay, we, we, call, we, we know him as Yahweh, you know, okay, God of heaven. They're, they're, they're playing the game. The God of heaven will make us prosper. He tells this to the enemy. And we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So three things right, yeah, two things right there. Uh, you've got, well, three people. I've got them circled there in the Bach, or in the, in the Hebrew. There's one God, the God of heaven, the, the God that the Persians recognize as the God of heaven, which is Yahweh. Uh, He's going to make us prosper. He's going to make us successful. He's made Nehemiah successful. Now, Nehemiah is bringing that, that success, that prosperity to the people. We're going to get this done. And God is going to do it. And he's got evidence why that. And we, his servants, will arise and build. God wants us to be successful. And so we're going to build. Notice that the two going hand in. God wants you to build and be successful. Well, I don't know why nothing's getting done. Because you're not building to get anything successful. So Nehemiah's got God on his side. Now he's got to get the people on his side. And once those two combine, 52 days and the wall is done. But the enemies, that's the third group, three things. This is important. Three things. I got them in boxes right there. No heritage, no right, and no memorial. And all three... He's not just spouting off words on some kind of a Twitter post. These are all boom, boom, boom. Point, uh, no heritage. It is the, you can see right there, it is the word kalak. Uh, it means portion, track, or territory. The portion of the land, Jerusalem or Judah, that Nehemiah is working on is not theirs. This tract right here, this right here, you have no territory. I have a border. I don't see, you don't have any place in here. You can be here, you can be there, you can be here, but you can't be anywhere in here, is basically what he's saying. Uh, they do not have the deed to this property. The legal share, that's what the word kelek means, belongs to the Jews in the province of Judea. We have the paperwork. This is ours. It's like, well, we can, what, you can what? You can rebel, you're, you can rebel. They're, they're accusing him of rebelling against our tax Xerxes. We've got the paperwork. So if you come in here, guess who's rebelling? I'm not rebelling. You're going to come in here? You're rebelling. Boom. Legally. He didn't call them names. Didn't try to intimidate. It's like, I don't think you got the paperwork. And if you come in here, you're, uh, you're rebelling. No right. That is the word means righteousness, meaning their desires have no legal merit. They are, they are not just. So anything you do is going to be unrighteous unjust anything you do will be illegal you have no legal option you don't just have the paperwork you've got no legal repercussions there's not a court in the land that's going to hear your case meaning their desires have no legal merit if they follow through with their intentions and their words meaning we're going to stop this their actions will be illegal and they will be criminals in the eyes of the persian government you get in the way uh, there'll be criminal charges brought against you. Nehemiah answered to Artaxerxes. He did not need to answer to the opposition. Uh, in fact, they did not need to know what Artaxerxes and Nehemiah were doing. Not only do you not have the paperwork or a legal right, you've got no business looking at my tax receipts, my tax documents. You have no business looking at my business plans. Uh, it's, none of you, it's me and Artaxerxes are doing this. You? Let me see. Uh, Samaria? Ammon, Arabia, whatever. But Judea, you don't need to know anything. And no memorial, meaning memorial remembrance. You can see the word there, Zikharon, meaning Samaria, Ammon, and the Arabs have no history here. This means it's going to go a couple directions. This means we have a memorial. We have history. Uh, you talk about uh, this, this land used to belong to... 
He's, this land used to belong to the Jews, and it's always been the Jews, and it is still the Jews. Uh, they have no historical record of them having the city of Jerusalem or the land that they are living on. This also refers to the cultic memorial, meaning they have no portion or memorial here. We have Jerusalem, the city God chose. We have the temple God chose. We, have the, we are the people God chose, and we have the law of Moses. Samaria, they could say, yeah, yeah, well, well, we worship Yahweh because they had their own temple also on Mount Gerizim. It's like, wrong. We, you don't, and they don't have the full scripture. They only have portions of the scripture. They, they have the wrong location, wrong temple. You're Gentiles. You're not even Jewish. And you don't even have the right scripture. So you have, you say, well, we're, we're worshiping the same God. No, you don't. You, you, have, you don't have any history here, plus you have no connection to our religion. You're out. Uh, and that's the Samaritans claim to worship Yahweh, but it was a different location. Uh, and point two, uh, this false religious system of Samaria, Ammon, and the Arabia had no place, position, or history to correct or criticize what Nehemiah and the Jews were doing. So Nehemiah has got God on his side, history on his side, the law on his side, the paperwork, the territory on his side, and Artaxerxes on his side. It's kind of like, I just don't see, I don't see you having much of an option except to stand outside our borders and just watch me build the wall. And that's how the chapter ends, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's a pretty, uh, pretty direct. I mean, Nehemiah is, is very, I would say, very serious. I mean, if he can pick wine, he knows how to run politics, the guy. I mean, he knows how to run this thing. And so uh, I, I don't think Nehemiah is someone that they're going to push around. And I don't think he's a big mouth. I mean, you know, loud mouth, pushy. I think he's just very like, yeah, let me just check the paperwork here. Yeah, here's, I think you're looking for this document right here. Next question. I mean, I'd just be like, and they're just going, and now and the, when we go through the rest of the book, you're going to see there's going to be at least three attempts. It's going to be fun to see especially with this tension right here. I hope you can feel the tension, not just the fact that we're over time, but uh, that there, there are going to be ways that they've, they've got to now get him to make a mistake publicly and say, see, it's going to sound familiar. They're going to try to get him alone and assassinate him. It's like, and he's going to like, they're going to be like, you need to go, he goes, no. He goes, you need to go, no. And Nehemiah's going to be like, guys, this, <laughs> I'm from Susa. I was in the palace of Artaxerxes. I was there the day Xerxes died. I don't think he was. But it's like, I know how this game is played. You guys are amateurs. Next question, please. Anyway, that's chapter two. Next week, uh, it's a little bit different. Now he's going to become the team player. Tonight, we kind of saw him alone at night going around by himself. No one knows what's going on. He's stealth. Now he goes public. And, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's going to take us... It shouldn't, but it's going to take us several weeks to get through chapter 3 uh, because of all the people and names that are going to be on board. And just 52 days, they're going to build a thing in 52 days. So they couldn't do in 140 years. Nehemiah's going to do it in 52 days. Not 52 years, 52 days. I'll pray and we're done. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into this word. We thank you for the chance to see this history unfold. And we know that you are moving in lives today, doing the things that you've planned to do from eternity past. And we just ask that we would walk in the ways that you want us to walk in and do the things you've called us to. Wherever you're building, whatever you are doing, we want to be part of it and uh, continue to follow you and be sensitive to your Spirit's work at this time in history. We do thank you again for the chance to be here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.